0: Hey there, this is Dee Yvonne Vivers, your host for Birth Moms Real Talk, a podcast where you will hear the journeys of birth mothers who have placed children in adoption and also have some emotional and tough conversations, or you may say, hot topics about adoption. Listen in. Good afternoon, everyone. It is so awesome to come back to you again with Birth Moms Real Talk. My name is De'Yvonne Vivers. I'm your host for Birth Moms Real Talk, where we talk with birth moms about their journey and also cover a hot topic. This is a lot of hot topics out there, but I'm so happy to have as my guest today, Lene. Welcome, Lene. Thank you for having me. Oh, Of course, can't do it without the birth moms. And you're one of the birth moms out there. (laughs) I had the opportunity of meeting some couple of years ago, I think, or more. It was. It was. Yeah. So it's good to have you on this podcast. And I always will give the table over to you to tell us a little bit about your story of back your childhood and growing just before you found out you were about to be a mom. Okay.
1: Wow. Wow. So let's see, I'll be almost 31 years placement. I came from a family of eight children. I was the oldest of eight children, a very religious background. And it to kind of sum it up is I was kind of being the oldest, you kind of have to be the first one to, you know, go through the trenches of, you know, learning things and teaching your parents, you know. Of what you should or should not do, and they were I, 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 learning. Like you said teaching your parents. <laughs> <laughs> You're teaching them,
0: <being laughs> Okay, I like that.
1: They, well, I mean, and realistically, I mean, yeah. I, I always, I'm sure you hear the same thing, but people always ask. You know, there's, there's no manual for each, should, you know, child that comes out. And then I heard a great quote that our children watch us as parents grow, yeah. and that's so very true. And I think we forget that you know, when we become parents that we watched our parents grow and they had to kind of decide, you know, what their boundaries were and, and what they're willing to do and the trust factor. And and I think being a, a woman, being the oldest of eight children, it was nerve wracking, I think, just to date and just to what to do, and what not to do. And I really felt like I really had a lot of high expectations that were put on me. That I don't even think they realized that they were putting on me. I know I didn't really quite realize, I just know that I wasn't happy. And I felt like it was never good enough. And that I was always having to work to prove that I had some type of value besides the monetary and physical value of babysitting, you know, working and, you know, making dinner and taking care of the children. I wanted to have something more. I just didn't know what that was. And in that time frame, I remember they talked about sex, but very limited. Okay. And, and it was very difficult, I think, for them. And what you hear through school and friends versus what you hear from your parents are vastly different. Yes, And I just wanted to feel loved. I wanted to feel like I had something more of a value than to my parents as a babysitter, you know, as a caretaker, and as somebody that just kind of helps out around the family. I needed let me, something let me, more. Let you,
0: uh interrupt there. You wanted to feel love. You know what? Mm-hmm. They, there are countless times I have heard that. Countless sure. times. And moms saying and others saying that I wanted to be loved. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
1: dig a little deeper. Where did that come from? I think it was again watching my parents. I think they struggled to understand and how they didn't know how to love each other. They struggled having, I mean, they just kind of like, I think as most people, we get married and we think everything's going to fall into place and it's going to come easy. And it didn't because they had children really quickly. My dad was a Vietnam vet and that kind of goes along with my story. He was also came from over from England. And so children were meant to be seen, not heard. And my mother was the youngest of 13 and her mother died pretty young. So she was bounced around with her family. So I think that two lost souls kind of just kind of came together. And I think they felt like this is what they were supposed to do is have lots of children and have this family. And I don't think they realized they kind of bit more than they can chew. And with that being said, having all those children, it was really hard to get attention. It was very, very difficult to give that love and compassion because whoever the recent baby was the one who got most of the attention because that's normal. So for me. I was working, I was even from a young age, I was doing a paper route. I was working with my dad in construction. And if I wasn't doing that, I was always babysitting. I was always taking care of the babies. I was always helping making dinner. So my role was a very an adult role. I didn't know how to be a child. And the one thing that I always needed was their attention, was their acceptance and their love and compassion. And I didn't understand that then. It took me years later before I kind of you know, had that light bulb come on, but I did I needed that attention and need that love. And unfortunately, like is all birth mothers, cause that's why we're here. We found it in all the wrong ways. What
0: was some of those ways like for us back into high school, or tell me about at what time when you did get pregnant, how old were you?
1: Actually, I got married very young. I was about 17. And I think I was 16 when I first just decided, you know what? I don't know what all the beef is. I want to know what's going on. I want to know what sex is. So I went to the store, bought some birth control, found some completely idiot, and it was done and over with. And I remember thinking, this is the most messiest, grossest, wow. fun thing I've ever done in my life. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then what my... What
0: a I, I It was, right?
1: <laughs> and... My my dad found out about it and said, you either abide by our rules or get out. So I moved out and lived with my grandmother for quite some time and then found the first idiot that I married and figured that was what I was supposed to do. That's kind of in our, in the religion, it's kind of meant that you're supposed to get married and have children. That was kind of like your, your goal, I guess, or what you should strive for. And I, I didn't want it. And so I Got out of the marriage, and I went back to school, and I was working a couple jobs to get out of debt. And at that time, I did start drinking, and I did start doing some drugs just to get through the day. I needed something to pick me up in the morning, and then something to kind of calm me down so I could get some sleep at night. I was working two jobs, and then a part-time job on the weekend, so I was exhausted. And one day I was on the way home and I had to borrow my dad's truck and the alternator was off and on. And some gentleman that I knew, I don't even want to say gentleman, that's a bad word, some jerk I knew, through just other friends saw that I was struggling with my truck and it was cold and he offered to help. And I was dumb enough to get in the car. We started talking and he was drinking and then I started drinking. And one thing led to another. The the part that I I remember the most that I still struggle with I had asked him to stop and I had asked him to talk, stop several times. And when you're drinking, time just seems like it goes by so fast, but it's slow motioned. But basically, it was a date rape. And I remember just wanting to get out and just get home and just be done and over with it. And I remember going home, changing clothes, laying down in bed, just exhausted and tired. And then I had to get and go to the bathroom again. And I remember thinking, I had this little twinge in my stomach. And I thought, there's no way I'd be pregnant. There's no way. That
0: thought came and, to your mind that night?
1: Oh, I knew. I, I knew. I just ignored it, basically. I was totally in denial. So, yeah, that was that's how I ended up pregnant.
0: <laughs> Did you share with anyone what happened?
1: No, I mean, it was very shameful. I mean, it, one, it's my word against his word if I were to ever, you know, say anything to anybody. And I started dating somebody couple other people, and I just wanted it to go away. So I just kind of suppressed it. And I really didn't think, I didn't want to think anything more about pregnancy. And it was a couple months into it, I started having a lot of pain, having a lot of problems. And I finally, you know, bit the bullet, went into hospital and paid for blood work to see if I was pregnant. And sure enough, I was pregnant.
0: Wow, how many months And, and um, that
1: time? I wasn't even in my second month. I think it was almost... Yeah, I think it was in my second, almost third month at that point. And my first thought, which I think every birth mother goes through, is I'm gonna get rid of this. Mm. So I did. I went into an age, well, I went into a place that that does abortions and they had me talk. They went through all the processes and what's going in, told me what's gonna happen. I had to come back the next day, talk to a therapist. And then after that I came in and put my money down and um, sat in that chair and was in the stirrups and I remember this annoying voice in the back of my head just screaming at me saying get out what are you doing Mm. and I remember thinking I'm losing my mind like I'm losing my mind but I can't ignore this voice so I did I grabbed my clothes and walked out with my paper can, (laughs) changed clothes again when I got in the car wow so
0: impactful moment
1: It it was, but then the reality set in as to now what, now what I do, you know, how am I going to get through this and who am I going to tell? And by that time I was, I was still in that state of denial. Like I just, this is not going to happen. There's no way this is going to happen. And I started having some, a lot of pain and problems. And so I went into a family physician. And by that time I finally had to tell my mother. And of course, she was conflicted with her emotions and feelings of what was going to happen. And I think in her mind, she needed to know who the father was. She needed to like do the whole shotgun wedding thing. Who's responsible. Like you, and I wasn't in that place of taking responsibility or really what I was going to do. I was still in the shock and of I'm pregnant. So that, that became a, a big issue. And when I went into the doctors, they thought it was a tubal pregnancy and I remember thinking and praying to God that it would be because then it wouldn't be a viable pregnancy. And then by the time I was into my almost a third month going into my fourth month, I was in so much pain. They finally went in, had surgery. And I just remember thinking, this is it. It's going to go away. I don't have to deal with this. And they, I found a benign tumor. So I had a cyst that was growing into my ovary. It grew the size of a softball. It split into two, formed a tumor, and it was forcing itself down my fallopian tubes. So they didn't know for sure if it was the pregnancy or if it was two separate things. And it was two separate things. Okay. I remember when I got out of surgery, they said, well, you've got about 24 hours and we'll know if this pregnancy is viable or not. And We had to flay your ovary open and you may have scar tissue from that, but you know we'll just wait it out and see. And I remember thinking dear God, just, just let this be over with. Like, just, I just want this to be a blur. And obviously she was a lot stronger than I anticipated. <laughs> so that's brief way of explaining how I ended up pregnant.
0: Okay. Okay. After all of that, you said you'd move out of the house. When you found out you're pregnant, you talked to your mom. So she wanted you to find a guy to get married. Was that the solution that your parents
1: wanted? I- wouldn't tell her who it was. I didn't want to tell her for a long time. And I dated a few guys and one gentleman kind of stuck around thinking maybe it was his. And I, I made sure he knew it wasn't his. But I remember my mother was talking behind my back to him saying, you know, you guys could get married. And I just remember being annoyed with her because she she wasn't really talking to me. She was, she was talking about me to other people. And I think she didn't know how to process. I mean, I'm sure everybody struggles with processing, but unfortunately my mom just didn't know how to have a communication between the two of us. And when I realized that I was going to continue to be pregnant and that what my future was going to bring, I just remember being in a ton of pain. I struggled with the process. I struggled with what am I going to do? What, what am I not going to do? And I remember watching my mom one day at a grocery store and, Mind you, she had eight children. So she's exhausted by this time. I mean, and the idea of being pregnant again just made her nauseous. And we were in a grocery store and I was still processing my decision what I was going to do. And someone had a brand new baby and it was screaming in the grocery store. And we were in the line waiting. And I remember my mother saying, Just the sound of a newborn baby crying makes my skin crawl. Like I'm so done with that baby stage in my life. And I thought, well, I'm not going to ask her if she's willing to help me with this baby because she's done That's, and over with that it. That was her <laughs> sign. That was her sign she was giving. I, it was her sign, but she didn't understand that. And she didn't really realize it. She was very conflicted. And when I decided through a lot of heartbreak, I didn't want her to be a single mother and have my parents have to help me because I knew I had to have their help. I knew that I was still dealing with an ex-husband who put me in a lot of in debt. So I was having to overcome all that. I had to move home. While I was pregnant. So I was adding more stress than I was helping the family. And the pregnancy definitely was way far stressful than I ever wanted to dump on anybody, let alone myself. So that was kind of a defining moment for me of, okay, she deserves two parents. She deserves... A better life than I know I could give her. And it wasn't that I couldn't take care of her and that I wouldn't have the support and help. I just felt like that wasn't for me to ask them and to put that extra stress and financial and emotional stress on them when this was for me. This was my choice, my decision, and I wanted her to have the best life that she could have. And I knew deep down inside it, it wasn't through me. So at that time, I decided to look for an option. Mm-hmm. And my mother unknowingly told everybody in church, Mm And women love to talk. They love to discuss things and -hmm. and gossip and say things. And once she stated to a few people that I was considering adoption, not knowing she actually opened the black market to adopt and really a stressful moment. So with that being said, I went into, at the time there was only either a religious agency or it was a state agency. There really wasn't independent agencies. And I remember at that point, they had those great big profile scrapbooks type thing. They were massive. They were huge. And they really just had a brief description and pictures. And I remember one of the women had said, our job is to give this child the best life possible and for you to just move on. And I remember thinking, how dare you accuse me of being this horrible person, even though she didn't say it, it was the way she said it and it was the way she made me feel yeah. as if I was some incubator and that I did this did injustice to this child and
0: And when they just as you said, you were 31 years out, mines was nearly 48 in that particular time it was sort of and you sort of alluded to it you wanted the best for your your child your daughter mm-hmm. All birth moms want the birth best for their children. Absolutely. absolutely told you're going to find your and you just move on those two statements wow. don't go together they just don't but people mm-hmm. didn't understand mm-hmm. and i'm not sure wow. how far it's moved to people truly understanding today
1: i think it's still it's still hard for people to understand it's still hard for people to really grasp that there's a difference between women who choose to place their children for adoption versus one who had her rights revoked. They're not even in the same room, Yes, the same. Even social workers today, when I say birth mothers, that's the first thing they think of. And so I find myself sometimes frustrated going, wait a minute. No, no, that's no, I chose to place. There's a big difference. I think the stigma is still out there for birth mothers as if, we should be shameful or that we are drug addicts or that we're loose Mm -hmm. and
0: immoral. And and I don't know whether you heard this terminology. I'm still trying to come to grips with that. Oh, it's an illegitimate child. Well, what's a legitimate Mm. child, you know, because Mm -hmm. if you're not married, it makes the child illegitimate or you're, or or the, the quote unquote, and the whispers, (laughs) the whispers, she's pregnant. I
1: mean. Well, and the sad part, I, I actually lived that while I was pregnant because my mother did that to me. And I did actually because I had to move home because of the financial situations and because the pregnancy and the surgery, I I just couldn't be on my own. It was a lot of pain. I had to go somewhere. So my parents stuck me in the basement. It was an unfinished part of the basement. All I had was a hideaway bed. So if anyone has ever been on a hideaway bed, there's that bar That that sticks in the middle of the bed and I'm pregnant and that bar is just absolutely digging into me and um, we had an outside entrance to the house that went into the basement and my mother preferred that I not be around the kids and my sister, my siblings, because in her mind, she felt like I was, that that was like somehow like an infection, like it was contagious and it was a bad presence and I was showing a bad What's a good word for it? example to my family, to my siblings. And I understood where she came from. And as she added more to my guilt and I really didn't want to force anything more on her because I already felt guilty as it was just being pregnant and not being able to talk to her. She was so conflicted that she was beyond herself. I mean, there were days where she would hide baby clothes throughout the house and then she would make derogatory comments of uh, oh hey by the way you know someone wants this baby you can give this baby to him and at that time the language wasn't something that people talked about because it was still the language of give up your baby or give away your baby it was never placing your child right. none of that language was right. existent so it was very subconsciously it was very damaging to hear I'm not giving this baby away. I'm not giving up this baby. I'm choosing this out of love, but I didn't know the proper language to really defend myself because I felt like I was already putting her out, but I was so annoyed because she'd be taking phone calls and messages and (laughs) sending them on my, my bed saying so-and-so called they're, they're interested in adopting. And, and then the next minute she's hiding baby clothes in the house. So she she
0: struggled. So she really was, like, well, let me buy some baby clothes, be prepared in case you, mm-hmm. you kept your child. Then all this other side, well, here's a first a family we can adopt. So we back yep. and forth.
1: Oh, it was it was very back and forth. And my dad, bless his heart, just would talk to me. We would go for walks and he was conflicted, but he he couldn't take sides because he can't pick his daughter over his wife. So he would tell me, you know, whatever decision you make, I'll understand and I'll be you know, supportive. I, you know, I can't help your mom. She's just in this really bad place. And so I tried to make everything as easy as possible for her. I went to school. I went to school at night. So I wasn't home during the day because I worked. And then at nights I would be gone and make sure that the kids were gone. I mean, I made a real major effort to not be around when my siblings were home from school, were there when be, they were getting ready for school.
0: Let me ask you, how did that make you feel? Number one, you said you're in the basement and you preferred for you to come through the door where your other siblings wouldn't see you. So it's like you were being
1: hit. It, it felt, I want to say the word dirty, but that's probably not the word dirty. It, it just felt Shame. very shameful. Shame. Like Shame. I was, it was very, yeah. It's such a disappointment that I was being hidden. You know, it was like, you know, just go away, just literally just kind of like go in your hole, right, right. <laughs> come out when you have to kind of thing. Yeah. So and it and to all the love to my mom, I mean, I can't even imagine the frustration she had to go through having eight children. And the idea of placing was never a thought in her mind. So the thought of me doing that was incomprehensible for her to process. And then I had to add that to my Of Finding the right couple for me and making the right decision for me without her support, which she had eight children. If anyone knew what it was like to go through pregnancy and after pregnancy feelings, she was the one you'd want to talk to, but she couldn't do it.
0: Just 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 as you said. And I didn't have anybody else. Just as you said, not only just during that time, but based on the personalities of your family because I can speak on that, that like my family, they just couldn't even comprehend what I was saying to them. And I recognized and was able to understand that through understanding and therapy and all that. That's where they were. They love me in their own way, but it's like, what do you do? How can you support your, your daughter when she's in this situation to show the love as well as show what you can do to help through that time. And a right. lot of birth moms, I think, uh, have been shameful, have felt shame, have mm-hmm. been tried to be hidden <laughs> or, but how can you hide a pregnancy? You know, I, I think of it because a lot of times, well, sometimes I've heard people ask me, well, so you were at home the whole time? Yeah. Or like, where was I going to go? <laughs> you know, uh, and so <laughs> people know, yeah. And so, so when they, so to see you, it's like, yeah, she's pregnant. It's like the elephant in the room. I had to bring that up. That was an episode, I think, that Lars said. It's like, yeah, Yeah, people saw me who was was pregnant, but no one said anything.
1: So, because you just ignore it, it'll go away. Yeah. I kind of feel like I was one of those children that they would lock away, you know, kind of thing. And as long as I would come out in the dark, you know, or not be around when people were around, it was something they didn't have to explain or they didn't have to acknowledge of course it doesn't go away because my siblings saw me get bigger and bigger and they knew that I was going to have a baby. And I even struggled with, how do I talk to them about this? What do I say to them? And there really wasn't a lot of education unless you actually went through an agency. So I think those movies, lifetime movies where, you know, you wake up and you're, you're pregnant, you're not pregnant. You've got a scar where you've had this child take Away from you. I literally had that fear during my pregnancy because I don't think my mom realized that door she opened up was incredibly scary and it was incredibly difficult to see and to feel this child in my body, and then to all of a sudden not have her with me and not knowing what to expect or what not to expect. What am I going to make? A decision, how am I going to make a decision? And by that time, I started getting just massive profiles. In the mail, where those great big mail boxes of those plastic bins that they would send and leave at the doorstep of all these people, the profile, and that's when the reality started to hit me. Where, holy crap, you know, am am I safe to drive anywhere? (laughs) People now know my address and my phone number, and how do they know? And and it was it was creepy, it was scary, and it was heart wrenching. Um, through a friend of mine, actually through work. And I I call her my angel. She was just really sweet. She was very kind to me. She was really the only one that would try to make an effort to friend me because I felt very untouchable. I felt like I was unapproachable because I was single and pregnant and no one wanted to talk to me about it. And she was very kind and, and very gradually and very respectfully asked me if I would be willing to look at a friend of theirs that she knew that was wanting to adopt, But they were going to college and they were dirt poor. They were just both college students and tried for 10 years. And she's like, would it be inappropriate for me to ask if I could send you their profile? And I, I remember just rolling my eyes, like if I see one more profile, I'm going to puke. But at the same time, I just couldn't say no. So she did. She sent it. And I remember going home. I made I made sure that whenever I go home, everybody's still in school and everybody was out of the house. And I was taking a hot bath to kind of relax, to get ready for going to school and, and doing a second job. And I had all these envelopes at the side of the tub. And I just kind of leaned over and opened the one envelope that had her name on it. And the picture of the adoptive couple fell out onto the floor. And as soon as I saw their picture, I just started to cry. And I went, there's no way. There's no way this can be the couple. Like, this is just an aha moment that I was really struggling with. It can't possibly be this easy. Does that make sense? Like it, but it was, it, I did meet with the adoptive couple and it was done. It was domestic open adoption. It wasn't done through agencies. I did meet with them a couple of times. I remember telling them, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but if I do choose to do this, You're likely the couple, but I don't want to put hope into you because I don't know if I can do this. And I did become pretty good friends with the adoptive mother and I heard her story. We had a lot in common. We had a lot of history in common. And there was just a bond there that I really was grateful for, regardless of whether I chose them or not. I I knew that bond was there. And then when I did finally go into labor, I think that that was probably the hardest for my mother, let alone me, because I went through it by myself. She really was all about the baby. She was all about the children. And I think that gave her a sense of accomplishment and it gave her a sense of reason as a mother. I mean, she had eight children, so she liked the feeling of feeling needed and wanted. And so, so she asked, didn't know how to be there for me.
0: When you said you went through labor alone, so you were in the hospital by yourself.
1: No, my dad actually walked with me and I was going into pretty hard labor. And what's just funny is I kept asking my mom, like, what do I expect? How do you feel after you have the baby? What is what is labor like? What is I she wouldn't talk to me in those regards. And if she did, it was very direct and to the point. And I remember at one point she said, when I asked her what it's like after giving birth and she said, you'll be empty. And she said it very derogatory, very matter of fact kind of thing. And she just kept guarding as she was saying it to me, like, you'll just be empty. And I remember thinking empty. What is she talking about empty? And, and she was right. You do feel empty, but mm. she really didn't know how to elaborate that feeling and that emotion. And, um, when I gave birth, I remember the doctor saying, you're fighting the labor. And I thought, how do you fight labor? (laughs) How do you, what do you mean by fight labor? And they finally came in and gave me an epidural and my dad came in and my mom and my dad literally on each side of my bed were fighting over who didn't ask who to come to the hospital. And, my dad was upset because I didn't ask him. And all I know, I'm in hard labor and I've been fighting. it. don't know what that means. And they're fighting over my bed. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I remember calling the nurse and she says everything okay. I said, something just feels funny down there. Like it just feels like I can't put the pillow between my legs. And apparently she was crowning. So the epidural was working. So it was enough for me to relax that my body could you know, start giving birth. And I told her, I said, I need them to all leave. I need them to all leave. And my dad, my dad left, but my mom literally held on to the bed railing. And before they really got to grab her and pull her out, I was giving birth and the doctor had just barely enough time to grab her. And I remember that moment of arching my back and saying to myself, dear God, this, I can't do this. I can't do this. This is just sheer cruel. My mother wasn't there for me. She didn't hold my hand. She was all there for the baby. I was resentful towards her that one because I just needed her to hold my hand. I needed her to be a mother that I now realize she didn't know how to be. But at the time I needed her to be my mother. And I think, I think you can relate to this most most birth mothers and, and women in general. I had that out of body experience where I remember floating above my body and watching myself give birth. And they had to run her into NICU. And I remember just being relieved and I just wanted to sleep. And as soon as they ran her into NICU, my mother left my bedside. Like she let go of the bed railings and she was gone. And of course, you know, they put you all back together and they put the bed back together. And I just remember just rolling over and being so grateful and so exhausted that I exhausted. could sleep on my stomach.
0: Exhausted is a word.
1: Just wanted to sleep on my stomach. That was my thing.
0: And You know, it, you've it, you brought up very common things that birth moms will go through. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you said your angel with your office maid and referring the adopted couple and of someone being there, whether they were able to be there or not, you understand that. You know, And I, I, I give grace. I give grace to my parents. They're both gone on. But I could grace of the fact that they were there to do what they knew to do. It wasn't what I needed at the time I needed it, but they could not do it. So that is a revelation. That is something that birth moms, we have to accept and heal and empower ourselves to get through. And when you said again about your mom had had eight children, well, my mom, I have two older brothers, who so was three of us. I didn't know what to expect. I just knew it was coming here to supposedly due date and I was having pain. So it's like, get me to the hospital. This must be it. So this must be it. Because when you don't know, and, and it comes back from there, you and I have had some off-site off, 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 off site of conversations about the talking and just understanding and the communication that right. those are the steps that will help, that will help us as birth moms and healing or those coming towards that, because we're talking about our stories. Right. This is happening every day, and I don't know the yep. numbers. And I, I'm a researcher, so I, I know it's. I think it's like 150 thousand adoptions per year in the United States. That's a lot of people. So whether it's birth moms, foster moms, or, or birth moms who have been from foster care or whatever, someone has given birth, and someone's not leaving with their baby from the hospital.
1: And we're gonna. Have- I- that number, that number is actually higher, is it? Okay. Than than what you have, yeah. Okay. Actually, you yeah. know, it's funny because social media has really kind of been derogatory and negative. But because of COVID, there's a lot of women who are choosing to place because of COVID and right. the lack of okay. funds nowadays that's going on. And I thank God that people are realizing that and that they're looking at adoption as being an option. But a lot of people look at adoption very derogatory and negative and and that stigma's just really old it's just so old and it needs to be changed it needs to and there needs to be a bright light shined on it like wait a minute you know this is
0: this is where we're not
1: the derogatory thing
0: this is absolutely this is an absolute movement and i said we're pulling the covers Offer of these secrets over this covering up and talking to change the way people are looking at adoption. From the whole the trium- yep. adoptee, the adoptive, adoptive parents, other people who are in their own dysfunction. Because this dysfunction goes outside mm-hmm. of adoption. And that's where a lot of the ideals. Are. It does. It, it does. It does, You know, so we're not just talking about just people in the triad. We're talking about other people getting these perceptions and they're stayed in their perceptions. They're rooted in their perceptions. And it's like, that's all
1: they know. That's all they've all, always known, mm-hmm. but it needs to change. It, it does. Change. Absolutely. It does need to change. Yeah. And it needs to change actually in adoption all the way around. I mean, I, it's so funny because people said in the triad of adoption and I kind of laugh because sometimes there's, it's not always a triad. It's sometimes an octagon Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and it's not always the triad, but I think all sides of adoption and any side of adoption, there needs to be a light shined on it. And, and for specific reasons, um, education, most of all, I think is priority and compassion. And, and that's just, I mean, that's just my, my perception of what I'm seeing in adoption. That's not happening. So, but yeah that's that's kind of what my thing was because no one talked to me about the education of okay what are you going to expect during the pregnancy what is what are labor pains what are you going to feel after you give birth and they no one talks about that I mean it's I think if you do Lamaze classes it kind of there's education there but the last thing I wanted to do was take a Lamaze class because I didn't have a spouse and I didn't want to be judged any more than I had to so I really actually discredited myself and didn't allow myself to take those classes. Cause I felt like I didn't deserve it. I watched my mom give birth to my younger brother and I figured, okay, I for the most part know how this works, but Unless I didn't know. Right. But I didn't understand like how I was going to feel after I gave birth. I didn't understand that emotional connection. I didn't understand the the hormonal rush that, that we all go through, your breasts and, and you know how that's gonna feel when you hear a baby cry. All that was just, I think those are motherly things that I think people take for granted that are naturally there but no one gives the heads up on. Right. And especially as a birth mother, you're in the middle of a store and you hear a baby crying from the other side of the store and your breasts swell up and you're like, what is going on with my body? Exactly, That that's the whole thing.
0: Don't even talk about hormones. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> when they say you become an evil person, it's like, wow, because it's your body changing and you have to understand. It is. That. And it is that education of that. But but let's move. You, you had your daughter. So moving forward, is what happened? Have a reunion. What's the status right now?
1: Well, we actually reunited. Our adoption was, we agreed to have it open. And back then that wasn't, that was even an option. And I'm sure you can relate to, it wasn't something that you talked about and it was definitely the agencies just kind of looked at me like I was crazy. Like, you don't, you're not deserving of that. And so I was grateful to have this dirt poor college students take this parent because I, I knew that they wanted to be parents. And that's what meant something to me that they truly had enough time in their marriage. They tried to have children and the ability to want to be parents was so strong. And somehow that that meant a lot to me. And I know for each birth mother, there's always something that means something to them that attracts them to couples. But for me, that was wanting to want to be parents was, was my big thing. And we had had this like conversations. They were supposed to send pictures every year for her birthday. I would send her something for her birthday every year and something for Christmas. And the adoptive mother and I, we, I felt like we had a sisterhood that couldn't be broken. Like I loved her actually more than my own siblings. And I loved her and her family in ways that I didn't, I can't possibly express. It's just, I love them. If not more than my own family, there was that unconditional love and I was going to fight for it. And I was very grateful for it. And the first 10 years of my adoption, I can honestly say we're bliss I knew it was the right choice. I knew it was the right decision. I was very grateful. I was very proud of my choice. And I had that backing from the adoptive couple. And I felt very lucky that I had something that I felt like no one else had, because I didn't talk to other birth mothers. I didn't talk to anybody else because you didn't talk about it. And I didn't place in that agency. And then things started to slowly change. They started telling me that she was coming into teenage stage and that she was being rebellious. And as a birth mom, there's a sense of guilt. I started to feel like it was my fault for her lashing out and her being this, you know, crazy teenager, which we've all been down that road. But there was this guilt that I was feeling like somehow it was my fault that she was being, you know, this rebellious teenager, which it wasn't, but that was Something, again, people don't talk to you about as what a mother can go through and those feelings. Mm-hmm. And by the time she was 12, 13, she called me one day at work and said, Hey, hi, mom. Wow. And I did remember you off your chair. I did. I, I just <laughs> stood there. It was catatonic. Like do what, what? <laughs> like you called me what? <laughs> I didn't even consider that to be my name. Wow. Let alone, and and I I really I remember sitting so was she there thinking. Your only child? No, I actually have a son. Okay, okay. But she does have two siblings that the adoptive couple were able to luckily have. Okay. And so I wasn't married at the time, and I remember just thinking, this is weird. I don't know what to do with this feeling. I don't know how to go with it. And so I waited later that evening, and I I called the adoptive mom up, and I said, so she called me today at work. <laughs> And I just felt like I owed her as a mother because mm-hmm. I think as parents, yeah, we yeah. should respect each other's parents, especially when our children are doing something that may or may not parents know. Yeah. So I really, I really felt like I needed to stay in contact. And there was a lot of things she was doing. She was rebelling as a teenager. I didn't know what they were, were not telling her. I trusted that they had her best interest at heart and whatever they told her was their, their choice. And we really never talked about the parenting aspect, but because I didn't feel like it was my choice. It wasn't my place. Um, Unfortunately, when she was about 14, she was persistent. Um, By that time I was married. So there's, I take that back. I was married at the time and we were lucky to have my son. I had a lot of infertility problems, which I wasn't aware of until I started wanting to try to have children and I was lucky to have my son. And so there are 12 years difference between the two. And it was, it was incredibly a difficult pregnancy. And I was incredibly grateful to have been able to stay home the first few years because I had several surgeries. I think it was about seven surgeries in the first five years of giving birth to my son. So it wasn't an easy process. So about when my son was about two years old, the adoptive couple had called me and said, Well, she wants to meet you. And I'm thinking that's not a good idea. And I, I talked to the adoptive mother and we kind of like, we're just hashing out what's going on, what's happening, but I just felt like they weren't telling me everything. And after about a year of kind of just not wanting to meet her. Cause I just felt like that was a bad time as a teenager. You kind of don't really know what you want and what you need. And I didn't want to dismiss their idea, but I didn't feel like it was, I was ready. And then the adoptive father called me one day after about a year of talking about this and saying, hey, look, she she's determined that this is what's going to help her and move through. And we really feel strongly about would you would you please consider, you know, coming here and meeting her? And I remember I think the worst part about that entire thing was my fear was that I would lose the relationship with the adoptive mother Mm -hmm. as soon as we met. It wasn't so much meeting our daughter, it was the relationship that I had with the adoptive mom. Something just told me that if I I did this, this would disrupt this relationship I had with the adoptive mother. And unfortunately down the road it did. I remember seeing her and she looked exactly like me. She struggled with her
0: first feeling when you saw her and she looked like you.
1: Oh, it's like an out-of-body experience mm-hmm. and your heart's pounding out of your mm-hmm. chest and it's like a surreal feeling of here's this mini you in front of you, like this younger version of you in front of you, but at the same time, it's a complete stranger. Yeah. Because I, I went I, I went into the ugly crap.
0: You look like me. You look the <laughs> eyes and see your nose. <laughs>
1: I, I did. I you know what's funny is i my friends always call me a closet crier because I can hold it together really, really well. But my husband was saying, he said, you held it together. Like I didn't do the like whole slobbery cry thing, but I my body reacted in a different way where my face was flush, I was sweating to death. I I was just on the verge of crying and on the verge of just not sure how to feel. I just remember wedding to death <laughs> and thinking I'm gonna peel my clothes off. Like I, I'm just like having this hot flash. I don't know what's going on. And and she was, it was just a surreal feeling. And I really felt like I couldn't just stare at her. I had to really focus on the adoptive couple because I didn't want it just to be about her. And I remember the adoptive mom was just freaked because we had a couple of weeks. That we had set a date so it's not like it was like last minute she literally killed herself to finish the baby book so i guess she just didn't think about finishing the baby book and knowing i was coming she was killing herself to finish the baby book like she was afraid i think to meet me in thinking i would judge her and thinking that she'd failed somehow or that she wasn't appreciative and it's funny because i went into it thinking i don't want to lose this relationship i don't want to say anything derogatory So with both sides, but what was funny is, is neither one of us knew how to say it to each other. And I don't think my, my daughter wasn't ready for it. She just absolutely was not ready for it. She, they literally had to drag her out of her room once I got there. And that was incredibly uncomfortable for me because my first response is I'm okay. I'm going to leave this. This is not going to happen. I'm going to leave. And then fast forward after a couple of years, they She'd really had put them through the ringer and I had to deal with her a few times with their just teenage stage, stupid stuff and rebellion. And I got a weird phone call one day and the adoptive mother and her dad just called me and said, we're done. We're done. Come get her. We don't want to deal with her anymore. Really? Yeah. It was probably the hardest heartbreaking thing I've ever had to deal with. And I didn't realize that I was suppressing a lot of anger and a lot of resentment. And I had to become a different person, not only to the adoptive parents, but to her. And then I was trying to be a wife and a mother to my son and and my husband. So I couldn't take on this teenager, but I didn't know how to help them. And so I kind of felt like I turned into this counselor within seconds and talking them down and talking about why this is happening and what's going on. And I gave in and I said, "Hey, look, I'll just take her for the weekend." It happened to be a Thanksgiving holiday, and it kind of ran through about a four-day, five-day weekend kind of thing. And so I took her for that weekend, and that that was probably more impactful and harsh for me because I was watching her sleep. Like it sounds creepy, but I did. I watched her sleep. I watched her mannerisms. I watched, and it was the honeymoon stage of the excitement of meeting each other and you want to see the best of each other. And I knew that she would be on her best behavior because it was new for her. Right. And she didn't know everything in the past that her parents, adopted parents had talked to me about. So it was a honeymoon stage there for, for the first couple of days. And I remember one night I just sat there watching her. Like it was so real to think that this miniature me, like I want to say miniature, probably not miniature, but this, <laughs> This double of me, right. younger version of me and all the things that I knew. And how was I going to help her? How am I going to love her? I didn't all these emotions, like this, like I was mourning the loss of this baby with this complete stranger in my home. And that was yeah. really hard for my brain to process. Like, why am I mourning the loss of the baby and not this adult? This it was weird. Right. And no one talks to you about that that that's normal, but I didn't feel like right. that was. Normal. And so
0: we're sort of winding up. So where's it now? Where's the reunion now? Um,
1: it's 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 difficult. She is um struggles with drug and alcohol. She gave birth to five children with five different men. She's I've had to set boundaries that I never thought I'd have to set. Mm -hmm. I've had to be a person that I never thought I had to be. I still struggle with the word grandma because I don't feel like she allows She gave me that title, but she likes to take it away too, whenever it's convenient. And that's normal as I understand drug addicts, but that's a harsh thing for me because it's so heartening because there's these five innocent, beautiful children that are part of me and I can't really embrace them. And I'm having to deal with this drug addict. That's not really a person. She's, she's just. I don't He's know not who she own is person. She's overcome no. by her. Addiction. No, she's right now. the drugs and the alcohol at that time. When I, I told you, when I had her at the home, that's when I found out she was pregnant and I had to take her home and tell her parents. And that was what broke us. Okay. It broke the couples, the adoptive couple and I's relationship, not because I did anything or they did anything, but it was because of her getting pregnant and what she did and chose and the psychology behind that was incredibly it's a very great lesson I had to learn but it was a crappy way to learn it if I could tell you anything after 31 years is I wish someone educated me more I wish the adoptive couple had had more education and how to talk about me to her Mm -hmm. and how I could talk with them and have an Mm -hmm. open dialogue with the adoptive couple. Because her perception of what they told her, which I did find out through counseling with what few times I were able to get through to her, is they misrepresented me as a birth mother. So her perception of me was completely wrong. And she took on that identity as if it was me. And I think it's it, by what that she time. Knew. That's what she yeah. knew. She didn't know. And it was hard because she, yeah. it's not who I am. Right. And to watch her. To become a person that she was told I was versus who I really am and who she is today, it, it's heart wrenching. It's heart wrenching.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You're so, Lene, I agree on all the points you just said. That's why I talk about education and you're talking about education. We're mm-hmm. about everyone knowing, and everyone needs to know all of these things. As you talk right. about the birth mom needs to know, okay, what's going to happen to your body? I mean, like, how's the feeling? What's the emotion? What's the hormones and all of that? The Adopted parents, understanding the history behind, no matter what adoption or when it takes place one day, two days, two years or whatever, that birth bond is still there. Then you talk about the straight DNA, you talked about the adoptive situation, the family and all that, and them understanding the rationale and reason why we place our children because of love, not because we did not love. Absolutely. We place our children because of love, not because we did not love. And that is something that needs to get across. And the more, and it more does we
1: and- talk about it, like we're talking here, that's going to help a lot of people. And, you know, Yvonne, there's something that, you know, I know that we've talked about this before, and I think we're kind of moving more and more into the research and understanding. But the one thing that I've, I've researched and that I found that it's not just PTSD and PTSS that we struggle with, but it's called ambiguous loss. And yes. I don't, I tell people to research that and learn more about it because we mourn the loss of a child that we know is living and they're not dead. And that's an actual thing. That's yes. an actual yes. loss and that loss is very real. We do have that connection with that child and to not know what they're going through, to not know if they're alive or, or if they're happy or if they're it, it's it's a great I don't know. That's that was the word that I learned that kind of solidified with me of ambiguous loss that makes sense. That makes Absolutely. sense that mother you know, child connection and mourning that loss, knowing that they're not dead and that they're still living right. and not people talking about it is weird because yeah. it is a real thing. And, it and,
0: and in order to grieve, just to say it is a real thing. Whereas if people who lost children through death and a lot of people have, you grieve through that. People are there with you to help you grieve. People are there to hold your hand. But mm-hmm. we don't get that, and it's understand ambiguous loss, disenfranchised grief, all of that. Mm-hmm. So that's where the education comes with everyone. Absolutely. Whether you're in the triad or not, everyone needs to understand that. And so I, I'm yeah. just so grateful for you sharing honestly and openly and genuinely because I know I know you uh, of bringing this <laughs> to the forefront of talking about it Absolutely. because that's that's the solution. You know, as well as talking about, as we say, a hot topic or another uh, topics that people don't discuss or talk about. And
1: you've got one you want to share a few words about. I do, and I think we've talked about it before. And I think with my story, you know, I tell everybody my story is really ugly, and it didn't start out that way. But what I found was is that I had to find a way to be better Mm -hmm. and I had to find a way to get through the bitterness because I did have a lot of bitterness towards the adoptive couple and for the things that they had told her and what they didn't tell her and what they did and didn't tell me and the anger and bitterness I felt towards her for the choices that she made because we choose to place our children in hopes that they have a better life than we were able to process and she didn't do that and so it was a real struggle for me but I found that I can find ways to be better, and I didn't have to stay in that bitterness. And I think it's a choice that we have to embrace—that you don't just get over it, but you get through it. That's it. And I think that's what I think every day. It's it's like a day, every day, every moment. Some women, it's every moment to every year. Whatever the circumstances is, you have to find a way to be better absolutely. because staying in the bitterness it will yes. literally cripple you.
0: Yes. Yes. And seeing that, I like to say the light or the other side, nothing mm-hmm. is all good. Nothing is all bad, but we have to understand. And as you say, and focus towards that goal, but well, this, whatever we've been through, it's not what mm-hmm. happens to us. It's how we react to it. And we have a choice to be better. Yes, We have yes. a choice to look high. We have a choice to live for a better life versus because bitterness just gets, keeps you angry, will give you anxiety and everything else. That's just like holding on with unforgiveness because that eats more on you than anyone else.
1: Well, it turns you, I think it turns you into a victim in so many ways and you, you can only survive that for so long. Right. Right. And your self-worth, which is something I think we all struggle as birth mothers. I had to find it and I had to get through it several times, but I didn't stop changing. I didn't stop learning. And I found a way through those emotions and I found a way through it to find a way to be better and not to be bitter all the time. And that Absolutely. that I think is key to finding a better life. And I love about talking about adoption because it can be ugly and, and it definitely comes from heartache on all aspects, but there's so much positivity yes. and there's so many grateful, amazing things. And despite how mine turned out, I can't honestly tell you if I look back and I don't know if you get this all the time, but I know I do is I get asked, well, would you change you know, your decision, if you had a chance to go back in time. And I said, well, that's not realistically. And if I could go back in time, I'd not get pregnant. Right. Let me go. all But but if (laughs) you, if you want me to imagine if I could, I would say no, because the circumstances and what I knew then, I I didn't know then. And what I know now, I can't go back in time and change that. So no, I don't, I don't regret it. Do I think I, have a, i could have had better choices absolutely was there should have been more education absolutely. probably but at the time I didn't have it so that's what i advocate for is that mm-hmm. education and mm-hmm. to educate yourself as a birth mother or if you were expected mother mm-hmm. educate yourself ask questions there's right. no such thing as a stupid question absolutely be yeah. real with yourself be real with mm-hmm. the people around you and if they can't be real mm-hmm. then they're not the friends for you they're not right. the people for you right. they're not your supporters right. yeah. And, and I like to say
0: that we have nature and nurture with the nature of being the moms who gave birth and the, the, the nurture of those who teach them how to live life by joining all of that together can give the mm-hmm. best life for our children. The adoptees had no choice in this, yep, but
1: absolutely. they need
0: to be given that opportunity to be the best people that they can in the world. And that's what we bring to the table. Any last communication
1: thoughts? Communication. I was absolutely any, any
0: last thoughts today as we wrap up
1: no thank you for having me and and bringing a light to this yeah. subject that I think is so important that so many women I know struggle with so absolutely. thank you for inviting me and thank you for putting a light on all of this
0: thank you so much so much this is so needed you've been listening to birth mom's real talk I'm your host Yvonne Vivers and we've had our guest today Lene. And she's been talking about make yourself better, not bitter, get over that, as well as education and communication. If we have to pull some buzzword, education and communication. Thanks for listening in. Thanks so much for listening in to Birth Moms Real Talk, where birth mothers share their journeys and we have an open and honest conversation about adoption. If you would like to share your story or you have any comments, you can reach us at birthmomsrealtalk.com or email us at Yvonne at birthmomsrealtalk.com. If you like what you heard, we would appreciate your support on Patreon as a supporter. Find out more on our website. Tune in next time. See you then.